Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Michael Scott. How are you today, sir? I'm well, man. How are you today? I'm doing good. Doing good. We're uh, we're getting through this. We're on to the fifth and final, in air quotes, final Rambo movie that in in our retrospective, uh, 2019's Rambo: Last Blood. So we've made it to the end. We have, we have, we have gone through quite a bit of Rambo, which has actually been, it's been fun. You know, I love doing these retrospectives because I, I don't know, I get just a better appreciation for the good and the bad and, and everything that is entailed in these series. And also you, I feel like I even get a better sense than I already had of why these series are so, why they last, you know, I I mean, we're doing both of these retrospectives are movie series that have lasted for over 40 years. Um, And that's, you know, that's not nothing to be able to, to do that. And, you know, regardless of the varying levels of success, just even being able to do that is, is not nothing. No, I agree with you. Absolutely. And we were very, very high on 2008's Rambo. And what was nice is, you know, it's been out for a little less than a week as of recording this episode. And we've been getting a lot of feedback via Twitter with uh, with a lot of people watching it for the first time or revisiting it. And it seems to be pretty universal that a lot of people love that film. Yeah, I, I agree. We've gotten a lot of feedback, uh, which is which is always nice uh, because, I mean, that's kind of part of the idea of this is we're hoping to get people to rewatch these movies or watch them for the first time. But it is nice to see that, that you and I aren't uh, up in the night on that movie, basically, <laughs> you know, that that other people are responding to the same things that, that we respond to about it. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're going to do real quick is we're going to uh, just sort of burn through the rest of Stallone's filmography. We were talking before we started recording that his filmography as of today ends with Rambo Last Blood. We left off on 2008's Rambo. Two years later, we get The Expendables. You know, we've touched on The Expendables in the Terminator retrospective from the Arnold Schwarzenegger perspective. So let's just briefly go over again your thoughts on all three Expendable films. Stallone was the director on the first two. Your thoughts? Yeah, I I enjoy the Expendables series enough. Um, I think they are a, for those who don't know, the Expendables are uh, Stallone teamed up with a bunch of 80s and 90s action stars and then kind of you know, Jason Statham to keep it <laughs> somewhat relevant to modern audiences. But it's him, it's Statham, it's Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren, Schwarzenegger. You know, as the series goes on, other people uh, show up like Antonio Banderas, Wesley Snipes. I think the first one's pretty good. Uh, I think Stallone does a pretty decent job directing it, although he's a little choppy in the fight scenes, which is a bit of a disappointment because Gary Daniels and, and Jason Statham have a pretty terrific fight. I really, really like The Expendables, too. Um, I think that is by far and away the best one for two primary reasons. One, the villain named Velan is played by uh, our boy Jean-Claude Van Damme. And his right hand uh, man is played by anybody who follows me on Twitter knows how obsessed I am with Scott Adkins. So you have you add Van Damme and Scott Adkins to The Expendables formula. And and I think that kicks it up. 
to a whole new level. Plus, Simon West is is a better. I don't want to say he's a better director than Stallone because I don't think he is, but I think he's a maybe a bit of a better action director. The action's cleaner. The fight scenes are better. Expendables three is not, I think, great. I think uh, Stallone got a little too. He brought in a whole group of younger action stars that are arguably not even action stars. He brought in a sleepwalking Harrison Ford. Mel Gibson's in it. I, I think Banderas and Snipes are pretty terrific in it. They would might be the reason to watch it, but I really do like Expendables 2 as an action guy quite a bit. And I think I've touched on this during the Terminator retrospective. I, I saw the Expendables and the Expendables 2 in the theater. Opted not to see the third one, and I think looking back, my logic was, oh, well, this one's PG-13, so I'm not interested. And then I eventually did see it. And I agree with you. It's a cleaner film as far as, you know, being able to realize or, or recognize what's happening on screen. But uh, if I was pressed to pick one, I would agree with you that the second one is the best of the series. So I mean, Van Damme's just so great. He's so yeah, great. He is. He, he's just he's having a blast as playing the bad guy in it. Um, and I think he really brings a whole different energy to the to the table than the, the villains in the other two movies. And not to go too far off topic here, but Van Damme needed to be in Expendables 2. His career had pretty much been relegated to the uh, straight-to-video market for a while, correct? Yeah, yeah, and he was. This was when he was starting to. This was part of his sort of resurgence that we've had over the last decade, starting with JCVD. And again, we could do an entire podcast on Van Damme. I can talk about Van Damme for hours. Um, but this was, you know, when people started actually recognizing that there's talent in him and and he can actually act and he can bring different things to the table and this this just helped increase that profile and again for me it's also a huge movie because it it helped increase Scott Adkins profile and this was right after I, I really discovered who Scott Adkins was and so to have both of them in the same movie um, which they've then gone on to be in several movies together but to have both of them in the same movie I just it was to me the second one is kind of an action fans dream it's the only one that I think comes close to achieving what the Expendables was supposed to be. Yeah. 2011 is Zookeeper, which is the Kevin James film. I've actually never seen this film. I'll just be completely honest. It, it never appealed to me. I So I, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just it didn't seem like something that I would want to see. I know Stallone voices one of the animals. For those who haven't seen it, this is a Kevin James plays a zookeeper who can who who can communicate with animals. I, I think that's picked up what I picked up from the trailer. But I know Stallone voices one of the animals. Have you seen Zookeeper? I have not. Um, you know, longtime listeners of the show will know my feelings on most comedies, so you can probably surmise my feelings on Kevin James. Uh, so I can't tell you if you. I, I don't know whether it's a good Kevin James movie or a bad Kevin James movie because I haven't seen it. All right. Well, <laughs> listeners out there, just send us a tweet. Let us know your thoughts on Zookeeper. Zookeeper. And uh, good or bad, we'd be curious. 2012, I'm going to lump two together. 2012 and 2013, we've got Bullet to the Head and Escape Plan. Your thoughts on those films? Bullet in the Head, I thought, was a disappointment. You know, it's Walter Hill. It's supposed to be Walter Hill's kind of big comeback. The movie's not bad by any means. Jason Momoa plays the the villain in it. He and Stallone have a pretty terrific hand-to-hand fight scene at the end. But it just... I don't know. It felt like lesser 
of everybody involved. Like it's lesser Walter Hill. It's lesser Stallone. It's even less and lesser Jason Momoa. Sung King from the Fast and Furious franchise, who's one of the foundational best parts of Fast and Furious, is in it. And he doesn't really they don't really know how to use him. The movie's fine. It's a perfect, like, I guess, one-time watch, but there's no reason why you would ever... I haven't revisited it since 2012, and I have no plans to. Okay, and your thoughts on Escape Plan? I I actually love Escape Plan. Uh, For those who don't know, in Escape Plan, Stallone plays a uh, prison security expert who is set up and actually sent to this super technical you know technologically advanced prison and he has to try and break out but in there with him is arnold schwarzenegger it's their first real true team up they team up in the expendables movies but this is the first true team up and unfortunately much like when jet lee and jackie chan teamed up in forbidden kingdom you know it's 20 years too late but both of them just they play off each other so well. Jim Caviezel's in it plays a great villain, just a smarmy villain. And I, I love Jim Caviezel. I like Escape Plan a lot. I actually really I, I think it got a bit unfairly bashed when it came out because I think it's a lot of fun. There seems to be a theme kind of running through 2008 and 2014 where with looking at the Expendables, Bullet to the Head, Escape Plan, uh, it almost looks like Stallone is sort of embracing his his action movie roots and sort of revisiting that. What do you think? Yeah, and I think part of it, you know, this is also right around when he got busted for, for H trying to take HGH into Australia, maybe. I can't remember, but this was... I sort of get a sense of, you know, we talked about it in, in 2008 Rambo, how he's just jacked and he's pretty jacked in, in all of these movies. And so I sort of feel like maybe he's acknowledging a bit that father time is catching up to him and he's not going to be able to keep this shape up forever. And so he better get these action movies out while he still can. And he admittedly does seem like he has a lot of fun making him. I mean, you know, I've mentioned before when, when Stallone has a little bit of that twinkle in his eye, I just think he's so delightful to watch. And that to me is one of the big differences between bullet in the head or bullet to the head and escape plan. He just looks dour in bullet to the head, but in escape plan, he looks like he's having a lot of fun. 2013, we get grudge match, which is, uh, again, listeners, I, I know I should be doing more research, but I have not watched this movie again not something that spoke to me it which is crazy being a huge rocky fan the idea of seeing stallone in the ring with robert de niro i don't know it just didn't it didn't click with me so again i'm going to revert back to you did you see grudge match i did it was it was fine i mean it was fine like you're not certainly uh, if i were to expect you to do research for this series more than you know you do don't sell yourself short. You do quite a bit of research for this series. This is not one of the movies that I would be like, you better watch this before we record. <laughs> I think it's fine, but it's eminently forgettable. I, I, I put it in the same category as sort of bullet to the head. It just it's fine if you if you if you're home and it's on TNT and you want to just veg out on a Sunday afternoon and watch it on TNT or if it's streaming on Pluto or something like that. It's fine, but there's nothing to it uh, as far as I think anything particularly memorable. It was kind of just a blip on the map. Like, it came and went. And if you think about the premise, I mean, it's it should have, I think, done better. A $40 million budget, it made about $44 million at the box office. So... 
I mean, technically made its money back, but it's not certainly one that's in the Stallone lexicon of movies that he's, you know, part of his filmography. It just, it just doesn't exist. In fact, when I was sort of putting this list together, I was like, oh yeah, Grudge Match. Still haven't seen that. So Yeah, I, I've seen it. And honestly, until I pulled up his filmography on IMDb before we started recording, I, I forgot it existed too. So, I mean, that, that kind of tells you something. 2014 is Reach Me uh, again. Something I haven't seen, but this looks like a really, I mean, he's got the, he's got the top billing in this film that says, I'm just going to read what it says on Wikipedia. The plot revolves around how a self-help book inspires a diverse group of people, journalists and his editor, a former inmate, a hip hop mogul, an actor, and an undercover cop. Have you seen Reach Me? I have not. Um, it, uh, I didn't even honestly know about it. Um, it's John Hertzfeld, who's not one of my favorite directors. Uh, he directed 15 Minutes and Two Days in the Valley. If you look at where Stallone is, he's he's way down. He like he's got top billing, but he's way down on the cast list. I'm guessing it's probably more like maybe like a cameo or at least a small. It's it's definitely an ensemble movie. I will say. Looking at it, it's got a 21 meta score and a 4.9 on IMDb. So there's again, I haven't seen it. Somebody might love it. Uh, if you do love it, reach out. Let me know if I should watch it. Uh, it's got a great cast. I'm happy to watch it. But I think there's probably a reason we haven't heard really heard of or sure. seen it. That brings us to 2015 and a monumental film came out that year. I'm talking about Creed, which was technically a sequel to the Rocky films. Stallone was in it. He received a Academy Award nomination, which is interesting because looking back, it's very rare that an actor is nominated for two Academy Awards for playing the same character. These movies are practically 40 years apart. The plot of Creed revolves around the son of Apollo Creed. Look, I'm just getting, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. This was a day one in the theater, had to see it and saw it twice in the theater. I was so impressed with Creed. I will turn it over to you because I know you've got lots to say about this film, but uh, I absolutely love it. And it's up there amongst the best Rocky films ever made. I mean, I can't talk about this movie without getting choked up. I love it so much. You know, I mentioned last week, I can't decide. I couldn't decide bouncing back and forth whether Rocky Balboa or Creed is my favorite Rocky movie. And I really thought about it. And honestly, I love Rocky Balboa, but it's no contest. I, I love Creed. I think Creed is actually, this might be sacrilege to some, I think it's better than Rocky. I think it takes the formula that Stallone created in Rocky and perfects it. Um, I Obviously, we don't get Creed without Rocky, so I'm not like shaming Rocky in any way. I think Rocky's brilliant, but I think what Ryan Coogler's able to do in this movie, and, and, and then couple that with Stallone, again, you know, we've, we've used the word invested a lot with Stallone. When he's invested, he's 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 unlike Arnold. Arnold is almost always invested. I don't know that I've ever really seen a ton of roles where, where Arnold is sleepwalking. He's giving 100% every time. Stallone's not like that, man. Stallone will sleepwalk through a movie. But when he's invested, he's great. And he has never been more invested, I feel like, than he is in Creed. Uh, just, it's almost like he knew this was his shot. He didn't end up winning the award, but he did get nominated. But it's almost like he knew this was shot and you, his shot. And you couple that with Michael B. Jordan, who I think is just one of the most exciting, dynamic, interesting actors working right now. Man, you, you've got... 
Creed's just special. It's it's just it's a special movie. It's the kind of movie that I wish we got more often, but we should be lucky, you know, and thankful that we got what we got because I, I just I think it's for me, I think it's cinematic perfection. I, I just I love Creed. That first fight that Adonis has where it's done in a, a single take is just I mean, that I'm just talking up on a technical level. That was mind blowingly well done. Like it just, well, it, it just, it's an incredible film. And did you see the behind the scenes footage of Michael B. Jordan actually getting knocked the fuck out filming that scene? <laughs> like, like there's, you know, everybody on this movie was in 100%. Tessa Thompson is brilliant in it as she always is but like her character is so interesting and so you know she takes sort of the adrian template but then they do so much more with it i just the fight scenes are great the 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 emotion and the heart you know if i think there's a couple lines in the last fight that like i said if i even think about them i start getting choked up the the mandatory rocky montage training montage might be is probably my favorite montage of all the Rockies just because I don't we're not talking about Creed so I don't want to get into spoilers for people who haven't seen it but given the context of how the training montage happens I think is just it's so perfect it's so well done I, I mean I just you know and, and I mean Ryan Coogler went on to direct Black Panther one of the best Marvel movies like dude's legit he's got legit skills and this movie is just uh, I, like I said, I, I can't not talk about it highly enough. Let's bounce up to uh, uh, 2018 with Creed 2. Uh, another thing that came out, came out around Thanksgiving weekend of uh, 2018. I actually saw it on Thanksgiving Day. And uh, look, I really like Creed 2, but I recognize that it's not Creed. It's not directed by Ryan Coogler. To me, it is sort of the spiritual successor to it's the rocky four of the creed series it's very slick lots of montages kind of beat for beat like has the it's it's a combination of rocky three and rocky four and i almost look at it sort of as an homage to those two films it doesn't have sort of necessarily like the heart that creed has but i still think it's an incredibly fun movie and i enjoyed it and i do not know your thoughts so i'm asking you in real time your thoughts on creed 2 yeah i love it uh i i i echo everything you said i i mean it's not creed it's not i can talk about creed 2 without getting choked up but but as a you know and Stephen Capel Jr. the director of Creed 2 uh, was very upfront that he grew up he loved Rocky 4 Rocky 4 was his favorite Rocky I almost think Creed 2 is impressive in the fact that it should not be good at all I mean I remember when they announced that the plot and this is no spoiler because this is the plot of the movie that that Donnie was going to be fighting uh, Drago's son I just rolled my eyes as did I here here goes Stallone again. Like, here goes Stallone just having a hit and then fucking it up again. Um, but the reality is uh, they pull it off. I think it works. I think as a mirror to Rocky Four, it works pretty terrifically, especially this is a minor spoiler for both. But the idea that both in both movies, Rocky and Donnie, they have to strip back down to basics. You know, they do it. Rocky does his training in a cabin in, in Siberia with no equipment. Donnie does his training out in the desert with, you know, just like tires and, and, you know, secondhand CrossFit stuff. Um, I really 
think that was very cool. Like just as a, a sort of mirror to, uh, I, I think they pull it off and I think the fights are good. And I think Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson are fantastic again. I think Stallone is great again. And I think it really feels like a true send off for Rocky Balboa. I, I won't say how the movie ends, but there's a, a shot at the end of the movie that I think just, it feels like Stallone is saying goodbye to Rocky and that. I think it I think it works. I mean, it's certainly for me uh, in the upper echelon of of Rocky movies. I, you know, I could watch it and Creed as many times as as I can hit play on the the Blu-ray player. So what was interesting is, you know, how I am about movie theater experiences. And when I saw that, I saw it. I think yeah, it was definitely Thanksgiving night when I saw that film and the the intro Adonis's intro to the ring during the the final fight like the crowd my crowd in the theater is cheering on like it's an actual boxing match and they're cheering during the fight and I got to tell you as somebody who's normally annoyed by things like that like I got into that like I was I was enjoying it like it was it it was it was a fantastic film, and I just remember his intro to the ring just blew everyone away in the theater. I was like, "Oh, this is incredible!" Uh, it's the best part of the movie it, for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, it just yeah, it it really is, and it's one that it, Creed Two is actually ironically, I think I've seen that movie three or four times to Creed. I've seen Creed twice, but I've seen Creed two three or four times. Uh, it's one that I like to revisit. I just think it's a, a really entertaining film. I'm just going to lump the rest of these films into one, just one question. 2016 Ratchet and Clank, 2017 Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, also Animal Crackers that year. Then we get two more sequels to Escape Plan, and we get one called Backtrace. So, uh, every one of these films, I mean, I know Guardians of the Galaxy is a huge film, but everyone else really kind of looks like it's been relegated to that uh, straight-to-video VOD platform. Yeah, pretty much. In Guardians, he's he's just a cameo. He, you know, he shows up. Uh, Guardians is a Guardians Volume Two is a, I think is a great movie. Uh, but you know, he he's only in it for a couple of minutes. He he and Michelle Yeoh and Michael Rosenbaum and a, and a bunch of other people play some side secondary characters. Escape Plan Two and Escape Plan Three are bad, and they did go direct to video, and they are not good at all. And Backtrace, he's in it and he gets top billing, but it's actually really a Matthew Modine movie, which kind of tells you all you need to know. I mean, I, I like Matthew Modine fine. He was in Full Metal Jacket and Married to the Mob, but I, I don't know who in 2018 is, you know, clamoring for a Matthew Modine movie. So that kind of tells you everything you need to know. Listen, he's got a great little he's got a great little part in The Dark Knight Rises. I love him in that film. Yeah, no, I mean, I love Matthew Modine. I'm not I'm not shaming Matthew Modine by any means. But, I, I think he he does good stuff, but I'm just saying that, you know, he's not necessarily the guy that you top line a project yeah. in in 2018. That brings us to 2019's Rambo Last Blood. So I will ask you, what, if any, anticipation did you have for this film? And did you see this in the theater? So I didn't see it in the theater. Uh, I didn't have much anticipation simply because I had actually been following the development of this. Uh, I, for people who don't know, right after Rambo 4, uh, Rambo 2008, it was announced that they were going to make Rambo 5 a, a called Rambo the Savage Hunt, where he was going to be tracking a genetically engineered creature based on a novel uh, called Hunter by James Byron Huggins. 
I tracked down a used copy of the book. I read it because I was on such a high after Rambo 4, even though I think it's the perfect ending for the character. I was on such a high. And I just thought this was just such a weird way to go with the character. But I kind of liked that it was a weird way to go. That fell through. And then I started hearing more about he was going to take on the cartels or he was going to take on human traffickers. And and it just everything I heard more and more about the movie and the various different scripts they went through, I just got more and more of a pit in my stomach. And so when it came out, I had every intention of saying, normally this isn't true for me. Normally I do not let reviews dissuade me from seeing a movie in the theater. This is one already having that apprehension when the reviews came out and particularly what the reviews said. I was like, you know what? I'll wait. I'm good. I'll wait till it comes out on VOD. So I rented it the first weekend it was available on VOD, but I did not see it in the theater. Interesting. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have to say like you gotta let me know what movies you're following in development because it seems to me like you're always following these movies development, and I I'd like to get on that train sometime. And see <laughs> see. So for me, I remember when the trailers came out, I was like, okay, yep. I'm in. I'm going to go see Rambo. I actually made a trip to the theater to see it. And this this could honestly be one of my movie theater rant stories. You know, I'm just, I couldn't get the app to work on my phone to buy it, to, to purchase a ticket. So I'm standing in line at the box office and I am stuck behind two people who... I don't know how this works for everyone else, but like when I make a decision to go see a movie, I've made that decision usually while I'm still at home. And every once in a while, I seem to get stuck behind a a couple who go to the movie theater without realizing what they're going to see. So I'm stuck behind two people who are reading the bill, you know, the, the, the marquee, the digital marquee talking about, you know, what film do they want to go see? And they were talking about it in the sense of, do you want to see the space movie? referring to Ad Aster, which was playing at the time, or do you want to see the new Batman movie, referring to the Joker, which was playing at the time? And they were going back and forth, arguing whether they were going to see the new Batman film or the space movie. And I am just, as you can imagine, just standing behind them, stewing. Like, wait, okay. And at one point, I literally said, I I know what I'm going to see. Can I just buy my ticket? So that, <laughs> that being said, I eventually, after 10 minutes of waiting, and by the way, we're the only ones in line. And so I get inside and I go to the concession stand and I'm stuck behind, again, uh, a gentleman who is inquiring about the different craft beers that my local Regal Cinema has decided they're going to start selling. And he is asking the 17-year-old a cashier, a young gentleman, about the tasting notes to expect from this particular IPA, and is it worth it? And I'm just, again, like, I'm dumbfounded. And the kid's like, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is you need an ID. I'll sell you whatever beer you want. So I have to forego concessions because the movie's getting ready to start. I walk into my auditorium. I get in there. I see a sea of high school kids. And I said, fuck this. I'm out. So I actually spent you know, 30, 40 minutes at the theater and didn't actually see the film. So I did eventually see it video on demand. So that was my experience. But I I remember wanting to see it, but in true Dana fashion, it didn't happen. I bought a ticket though. I did help the box office. So I just, I just want everyone to know that speaking of it, you and three other people. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) the movie was made on an estimated budget of 50 million. It took in a worldwide box office take of 91.5 million. So it was a, it was a financial success, albeit nowhere near what a typical Rambo film was known for taking in. So there's a lot to talk about with this film. So I think I'll just jump right into the decision 
for, you know, we've talked about part two, he's back to Vietnam, three, he's in Afghanistan, four, he's in Burma, also known as Myanmar. Uh, This one is, I think this particular plot is very contained and it is him taking on a Mexican drug cartel. Your thoughts on just the the general plot of this movie? I mean, the the problem with the plot is, is it, it doesn't feel... For me, it doesn't feel like Rambo. I, I'm going to talk more when we get later about David Morrell, the the author of First Blood, the the writer of the novelizations of Rambo two and three, and he actually worked on a version of the script of this movie. I'll talk a little bit about his somewhat famously uh, incendiary comments about this movie. But the one I'll bring up right now is he he points out that there's nothing in this movie. You could call him John Smith or John Johnson, and the movie doesn't change. There's nothing about the plot of this movie that feels like it has to be Rambo. It could be anybody. To be honest with you, I actually think a few years earlier, Jason Statham started a movie called Homefront based on a novel that feels more like a Rambo movie than this one actually does. They have similar plots. Uh, Instead of taking on human traffickers, he takes on meth dealers in, in Louisiana. But his character feels much more like Rambo and behaves in a way that I feel is much more Rambo-esque then there's there's just nothing in this movie that feels like this guy needed to be John Rambo um and I think that's a failure at the plot level because it it doesn't push anything forward as far as where Rambo is or what he's doing or why he's where he is other than yet again he doesn't get to save somebody you know um and that's but that's about it I I'm just gonna warn everybody listening I'm gonna be a little all over the map on this one because I I have a lot of thoughts on this movie but I don't quite know how to bring them all together um but what what are you what about you Dana what are your thoughts on the, the plot you know I'm gonna echo a lot of what you said there because uh the first time I saw this film I was just kind of like okay i guess that was it i'm done to revisit it for this podcast this morning watching it that's exactly what i was saying to myself like this is not rambo and i guess we should get into stallone's portrayal of the character of john rambo but the same thing popped in my mind i said well this is not a rambo film and he's really not acting like the rambo i've seen in previous four films he's just grandpa john you know on the farm and I was just sort of like, this is, this is perplexing. There's, I, I'm a right, I'm right there with you. Like, I'm a very much, I was kind of at a loss for words watching this film today. So let me ask you this. Stallone's performance as the titular character, John Rambo, I already feel like I know where you're going to go with this, but your thoughts on how Rambo has evolved since his character in 2008's Rambo? Well, this is the tough part, right? Because as we talked about last week, Rambo's story, he comes full circle in Rambo 4. Like it ends, his story ends. He goes home, he's earned his his trip home. So to pull him out of that, it would have had to have taken something I think pretty spectacular, you know? And what we get is instead a, a guy who doesn't feel like he's evolved a ton. You know, I mean, the whole point of the end of Rambo 4 is he's laying the war down. It's no longer his war. It's no longer his fight. He's going home. You know, we immediately 
get into this and he's building tunnels, which admittedly the tunnels are very cool. I mean, they're the tunnels are going to be one of the, you know, the high points of the movie, but it, it's kind of like this weird thing where he's building these tunnels like a crazy man, but then is acting like just uncle John or, or grandpa Joe, like you said, you know, farmer, farmer John. And I just feel like this plot is, and I'm not even going to touch, you know, some of the more problematic aspects of it. But I just feel like this plot is the product of 17 different scripts all getting distilled down to like their lowest common denominator with no thought for the character, no thought for um, the story arc, no thought for how it fits in the series. Because say what you will about Rambo 3 and I had a lot of complaints about that movie. At least it's like, that's a, that's a recognizably Rambo movie. <laughs> you know, like it's got Troutman and it's got him doing cool stuff and him being tortured. Like it's recognizably Rambo. If you showed this movie to somebody and cut out the opening title card because his name's only mentioned twice. You deleted the two times his name was mentioned and cut out the opening title card. Why would you think it's not a bullet to the head sequel? Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, shit, a, a, a random expendables side story, you know, like it just doesn't feel at all like Rambo to me. When we first see him in the tunnels at the beginning of the film, he has a momentary flashback of uh, what I what I interpreted as sort of a PTSD flashback of, of you know, his experiences in Vietnam and, and other experiences. And I said, oh, this is good. This is remember my thoughts the first time I've seen this. OK, so he is he is forever battle scarred from what his events. You know, he's 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 gone nuts. He's building tunnels. He's having flashbacks. We never really see that PTSD flashback come back to haunt him in any way that's going to sort of inhibit his ability to to carry out what his his mission is for this film. It, it just it's kind of just like a quick. This is what he's been through. Remember everybody. Okay, now he's going to be completely different than anything we've seen him in before. Yeah, I I actually don't have anything to add. That's I think that's perfect. Yeah. That's co- completely on point with. Again, folks, we don't like to like lay our cards on the table too early, but it's going to be a little tough with this one, um, at least on my end, uh, to not. I promise you, I have good things to say about this movie, but uh, I think you're already vibing how I feel about it. Yeah, and, and it's like, like again, I thought, okay, so he's he's crazy, he's nuts, he's building tunnels. But no, this is a, that's really just a hobby. I know this because when Gabrielle's having a party, you know, he he tells her, "Oh, bring your friends down there, show them the caves." You know, it's just like I just uh, I understood I saw how they were kind of setting this up and I thought this is good, but it never goes in that direction. What did you think about the performance of uh, of Gabrielle, the character of Gabrielle? So this she is sort of the uh, what happens to her becomes the the inciting incident in this entire film. And then we can kind of delicately touch on what plot of this film is involving Gabrielle. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she's she's you know, she's a very uh for somebody who's relatively young, she's done a lot of work, done a lot of TV work and stuff. I think that she does the best she can with the role she's given. I don't I don't have any problems. Uh, Yvette Monreal or Monreal, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing her last name, is, is the actress's name. And nothing I say is negative about this movie is 
on her performance. She's in Stargirl. She plays Wildcat in Stargirl. She's actually pretty great in that. Um, I think she does the best with what she's given. But I have a lot of problems with the role that her character plays in in this movie. And let I mean, let's get into it. This is basically spoilers for the movie. If you haven't seen it before, you know, Gabrielle is in search of her estranged father. She is warned by Rambo and by her aunt. Don't go to Mexico. You know, he's a he's a piece of shit. You know, he doesn't care about you. She subsequently goes and, you know, through a course of events is abducted by a Mexican drug cartel, which from my impressions of the film are just getting into sex trafficking with women. Um, uh, they're they're meeting with a, another cartel leader and they're talking. There's a th- line where they're talking about how they they exported seventeen thousand women last year alone, and it's just I mean it's just creepy. Like the whole plot of this film is just it's disturbing. But she is kidnapped by the cartel and she is forced into uh, you know a sex trafficking prostitution life. And and Rambo, you know he he goes to Mexico to find her. He ends up getting his ass kicked by a group of by by the cartel leaders. They let him live. He rescues her. He kills a couple cartel members, they come back to the farm, and we get this big showdown. I love the idea of Rambo taking on a drug cartel, but this was just, for lack of a better term, just a sleazy way, I think, to to go about it. Yeah, and, and again, spoilers, you know, we, we always do spoilers on these, but just a reminder, folks, we're going to spoil the hell out of this movie. Yeah, first of all, could this movie be any more of a take and knockoff? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, I really generally expect Stallone to be a bit of a trendsetter and not just following trends. But this one is just, you know, this is one of 50 of old man dad action movies. Dad has to take revenge, you know. Only this one manages to be so much nastier and sleazier uh, because you mentioned he rescues Gabrielle, but she dies. He gets her home and she dies. And... I've mentioned the term before on this show uh, of fridging, which is a term that was coined by Gail Simone, many, many uh, comic book writer Gail Simone, many, many moons ago, wherein a, a female character exists in a story solely to die, to motivate, like, change in the main male character and so the fact that gabrielle dies here is really she only exists in this movie so that we can revel in the 25 minutes of rambo you know utterly killing the shit out of cartel members in 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 the finale that just left such a sour taste in my mouth because even back in in rambo 2 co-dying they had a connection you know julia nixon was great they had a connection and like i said in the book they're they're even stronger the relationship is even stronger she dies but that feels so much more like once again that is a friend or somebody that rambo cares about that he can't save i feel like that's maybe what they were going for here but it doesn't land. It just feels gross. Um, and then we're supposed to take joy when he wreaks his, you know, unholy revenge on all these cartel members. It, just every decision they made about this plot, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't get it. 
And and it's what really keeps me from engaging in any way positively with the movie. Let's talk about the director for a second. Adrian Grunberg. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name correct. Grunberg, Grunberg. Looking at, you know, you know, his sort of his filmography. He has two directing credits as of right now, 2012's Get the Gringo with Mel Gibson and, of course, Rambo Last Blood. It says here, from what I've been reading, you know, he worked as a, uh, a first AD on Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, the Oliver Stone film, Edge of Darkness, Apocalypto, and then, of course, directed Get the Gringo. Uh, actually, I've never seen Get the Gringo. This was one of... Um, Mel Gibson's attempt at a comeback. I think that's the best way to word it. I'm not going to word it as his comeback film, uh, but it was his attempt at a comeback. What do you know about Adrian Grunberg? And uh, did you see Get the Gringo? I have seen Get the Gringo. It's fine. There was nothing about it that, um, well, actually, I should say there's something about it that like gave me pause because, again, it's a Mel Gibson attempt at a comeback. What's weird is on the flip side, I will say Adrian Grunberg is a hell of a first AD. I mean, you mentioned some of his movies, but he was the first AD on Master and Commander, Man on Fire, Jarhead. He was the first AD on the Wachowskis' Sense8. Like, this guy is a hell of a first AD. So I think there's real talent there. Uh, I I just don't see how he went from Sense8 to Narcos to Narcos Mexico and has been first AD on all three of those series and all three of those series are immaculately well done series. I don't see how he keeps getting those jobs if he's not you know, if he's not bringing something to the table to the table, I will say I didn't see a lot in Get the Gringo that he brings to the table. And I certainly don't see a lot here other than I guess I'll give credit where credit's due. You know, he he can shoot an action scene. The action scenes in this are, I think, pretty well done. Before we get into things we like and don't like about this film, I want to ask you a couple questions, uh, of course, about David Morrell. I did something a little unique today. I have uh, Amazon Prime. For for those listening, this movie is available on Amazon Prime, part of their streaming. It's streaming, it's not something you have to pay for, for a rental. They offer it multiple different versions. They offer just the standard theatrical cut. They offer the theatrical cut in 4K uh, UHD. And they also offer the extended cut. The extended cut is about, what, about 14 minutes longer? Is that right? Somewhere in that neighborhood, 12 to 14 minutes longer? According to movie censorship, which uh, if you all haven't gone to that uh, to that website before, it's great because they break down different versions of different movies. So if you want to know what's different in one version of one movie or another, they will if they have it, they will have broken it all down and tell you exactly what seems different. So according to them, it is 10 minutes and 57 seconds long. What's the name of that site? Movie, uh, it's the URL is movie-censorship.com. I am all over that. This is the first I've heard of this website. I am all it's, over that. It's a it's a really good resource. I, I'm sorry. I, I feel like a bad friend. I should have mentioned it to you before, but uh, it's a really, really good resource. I will include a link to that website in this episode's show notes. So having said that, I did something a little unique today in that I queued up theatrical cut on my TV and then queued up the extended cut and kind of was flipping back and forth between the two films. You know, I would would do 10 minutes on one and then another 10 minutes. And I think what's interesting is for those who haven't seen the extended cup, uh, there's a there's a complete cold opening to the film 
which I wonder, I, I mean, it, it, to me, it makes sense to have this in the movie because it just shows that Rambo's doing things and he's still a good guy and he's still out there helping people, but it's not at all in the theatrical cut. So what are your thoughts on the, the cold open of the extended cut versus the theatrical cut? The cold open's the only part of the movie that feels like Rambo. Like, I cannot believe they cut the cold. Like, I get it. If you look at the behind the scenes stuff, they cut it because the cold open isn't really related to the plot of the movie. But to me, the cold open is... I, so the first version of this I saw was the theatrical, but then I watched the extended again, and, or I watched the extended the second time. And I, when it opens and starts, I'm like, oh, maybe this is going to be like a Kingdom of Heaven situation where we've got a completely different movie in the extended cut. Because I will, you know, I'll save it for when we get to the good things and the bad things about the, the movie, but I really like this cold open. I, I think it's very Rambo. It feels very similar to Rambo 2008, right? We've got the the wife's dead. He's able to save the daughter. The husband won't leave his wife, and so Rambo can't save him, just like some of the missionaries, you know. It, it's really, and, and just even the way it's shot and the way it looks, it feels very tonally similar to Rambo 2008. When I first saw the extended version, I was like, am I really going to get a different movie here that I might actually like? I'm not. Yeah, but I as I say, spoiler, great, you're not. <laughs> but I do get a great cold open that I do think legitimately feels like it belongs in a Rambo movie. What are some of the other differences between the extended cut and the uh, theatrical cut, besides the extended cut being, in my opinion, having far more graphic depictions of violence in it? So the two biggest things, most of the cuts involved are taking out that cold open because there are some other scenes where Rambo's talking to Maria, his housekeeper. He's talking to Gabrielle about what happened on the mountain and how he couldn't save everybody. And, and there's some nice character scenes. There's also quite a few more scenes with, uh, we should mention that the villains, the big bad guys in this, their names are Victor and Hugo. Wah, wah. Um... <laughs> Like really, really, you're gonna you're gonna go with a Les Mis reference in a Rambo movie, but uh, nonetheless, like Victor Hugo uh, is. There's a lot more scenes of them interacting, so we get a little bit more of their relationship, which is important to flesh them out. But I will say, it doesn't make them any less just cliched, scary Mexican drug dealer bad guys. But I I, I think. The scenes are okay. Those are really the only big changes. And like you said, Dana, the 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 violence is a little more amped up in the in the extended cut. All in all, other than that cold open, I don't think there's a ton that is really noticeably that different. People are gonna watch this film. We can't stop them from watching it. Oh, I hope I didn't show my cards too early there. But if someone, if you were going to recommend somebody watch a version of this film, would it be the extended cut? My answer would be yes. Yeah, 100%. Yes. So I rewatched, I was going to rewatch the extended cut, but I actually decided to rewatch the theatrical before we recorded this because I wanted to, I still had a good enough memory of the extended cut. I wanted to see how the theatrical worked and there's no question. The handful of things I actually like about this movie, most of them come from the extended cut. So if you're going to watch it and you're going to give yourself the best chance to watch the best version of Rambo Last Blood, watch the extended cut. What did David Morell think about this movie? Oh boy, did he hate it. 
So I, I mentioned earlier he had worked on a version of a script with Stallone. And then apparently Stallone, I guess, just kind of, you know, new phone who dissed him. Um, like he just stopped talking to Morell, and Morell kind of dropped out of, of the process. And so he saw it at a preview and went on quite a Twitter rant. Uh, I won't read every tweet, but I'll read some of the ones that I think are important. First one he tweets out is, I agree with these Rambo Last Blood reviews. The film is a mess. I'm embarrassed to have my name associated with it. Um, I felt degraded and dehumanized after I left the theater. Instead of being soulful, this movie lacks one. I felt like I was less of a human for having seen it. And today that's an unfortunate message. Oof. Wow. Yeah. He brings up, and I actually tracked down this, a uh, little bit of a pun there, actually, but I tracked down this movie, Trackdown, that he brought up that he says is basically the exact same plot. It's a 1976 movie starring James Mitchum, and he says it's the exact same plot. Rambo, Last Blood, is, is just a 70s grindhouse exploitation film with cheap sets and an awkward direction, but without the soul. And I will say... It is pretty much the same movie, and Trackdown's better. Okay. Um, Trackdown's really hard to find. Shout Factory put it out on DVD a while ago. I rarely advocate this, but it is, you can find it on YouTube if you want to see it. And Trackdown is a better movie. Um, and James Mitchum's character almost feels more like he plays a, a rancher from Idaho, I think. His niece goes to LA to become an actress, ends up inhuman you know getting human trafficked and and gets uh, not really spoilers uh, gets killed he comes to la and he's all uh aw shucks farm boy and nobody gives him any credit and it feels all it really does almost feel more like first blood where it's like nobody gives him any credit nobody wants to help him because he's just ah he's this farmer and he's a hick and he's in the big bad and it turns out that you know like he can just kill people with his pinky and so it just it's the same plot it works a lot better and so i'm with morale if you actually want to watch the better version of this movie find trackdown whether you buy a used dvd or you watch it on youtube or what find trackdown because it's the same plot just done better i'm all over that i'm gonna watch that tonight that sounds that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's you know, and again, it's a '70s movie, so it's obviously a lot slower paced, and you know, know that. But I know you, Dana. I don't need to tell you that you love your '70s movies, Absolutely. so you're not somebody that I need to warn about you know '70s aesthetics and stuff like that. I think you'll like it. I'm all over it. That's awesome. So. Let's go over some things we like and some things we didn't like about this film. I'll start with, I love the cold open, like you said. I do like some of the action scenes, and and I'm going to be honest with you, this is going to sound crazy, but I just like Stallone, you know? And I so I whenever he's on screen, I'm like, I, I'm on board with Stallone as the, as, you know, that, that action star. And, you know, obviously, like you said, change the name of the movie, change the name of the character. I'm probably into the film a little bit more than I really am. But, uh, you know, I like some of the action sequences. I liked some of the performances by some of the characters. You know, you mentioned that they, the, the drug cartel guys were stereotypical, you know, in their portrayal. Uh, I still found them to be, what's the word I'm looking for, sort of menacing. Like, I bought that these guys would, you know, they're, they're evil. 
and they would just do whatever it takes. I, I got glimpses of that. So I like some of the performances, some of the action sequences were, were interesting. And I still think Stallone looks good on screen. Like I still, I mean, for, I mean, God, was he like 73 when he made this film? You know, he looks good. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> tell me, tell me about some of the things you like about this film. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to echo most of the things you said. Acting is not this movie's problem. You know, I think I find the characterizations of, of the villains to be borderline racist, but that's not the actor's fault. I think the guys that play Victor and Hugo, they, they, they bring, they bring, they bring their games. Uh, Sergio Perez Mancheta is Hugo and Victor is Oscar Haneda. And I, again, I don't speak Spanish, so I apologize if I butcher those names, but they, they bring their games. They're, they're, they're good. They're menacing. Uh, they're believable as brothers. I, I felt like, um, so I like them. Uh, acting is not this movie's problem with one exception that I'll get to in, in the negative stuff. Um, look, my, my primitive, monkey brain is not going to ever uh, not take joy out of watching John Rambo in tunnels fucking dudes up like the the you know we by now we've talked about it the Rambo movies kind of have a formula right they sort of have an opening and then there's a bit of a middle where things go and then 30 minutes of just off the wall insane action as Rambo does his Rambo thing and uh, we get that here we get you know the tunnel fights uh, are full Rambo. He's stalking around like Jason Voorhees again. He's, you know, putting arrows in dudes. He's, you know, and we're getting it all backed to five to one by the doors. I'm not a doors fan, but five to one is a great song, regardless of what you think of the doors. But again, well, I'll save that for the negative, but like that stuff's all good. And I'm with you, Dana. I mean, I've made no, you know, I'm not trying to hide the fact that I like Stallone. I'm a Stallone guy. I enjoy watching Sylvester Stallone on screen. And even in his worst movies, uh, barring like two movies in his career, I'm still drawn to watching him do his thing. And so I still like him in this. Uh, I enjoy watching him be some version of Rambo. The other thing I think is I think Brian Tyler's score again, uniformly Rambo movies have great scores. And I think Brian Tyler's score is great here. We get extensive use of the Goldsmith theme and, and the stuff, the other stuff he adds, I think is, is pretty great. That's, that's, that's about it for me. As far as the things that I, I, I took issue with, with, with this film again, uh, I'll, I'll reiterate back to what I said about pacing. And you take that cold open out of this movie, and I checked, I was checking the clock. I mean, we are talking 38 minutes before anything happens in this film, or 30 minutes. I mean, it is, this one it suffers from real pacing issues. And But I, there was part of me when I was watching, oh, but well, let's get to the last 30 minutes of this movie, and we're going to get into Rambo mode. But what was different this time was... To use sort of the analogy that you've always used, that he becomes Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers or anything like that, this was the first time where I felt like that was really accurate, and I wasn't buying it. I didn't care. And it was really strange because, and I think part of it was, 
He's just fighting, you know, with, with the exception of the cartel leader, whose brother <laughs> meets a un, very untimely demise, which I still get a kind of a laugh out loud moment when, you know, he's on the highway with what's left of his brother. I think that was kind of yeah. kind of comical. I don't know who any of these other people are. They're just cannon fodder at this point. And at least with Rambo, 2008's Rambo, like, we've seen what these soldiers have been doing. You know, we've seen how they've been making, you know, their prisoners run across, you know, rice paddies with with uh, landmines going. And like, you know, you see why these guys are getting just taken out in droves. You know, they're sort of, I hate to say, they're getting what they deserve. I don't know who any of these guys are that were, are with the cartel leader. So they're just one by one being taken out and it just becomes very nameless. Okay. Like, I was genuinely like, okay, let's just get to the the reason why we're all here to see this cartel leader face off with Rambo. To me, it just it just took too long. And that sequence in the tunnels, I thought was, I think it goes on for 15 minutes or longer than that. And it was just too much for me. And I, I just couldn't get into it at all. At all. I love the end. I love how he takes out the cartel leader, which is insane. But I think it... It, there just there was no weight and there was no stakes behind you know all these other people that were were fine were meeting untimely deaths in the caves so that's can I, yeah please can i say something yeah. on that really yeah. quick yeah because i i agree and i actually literally just thought of this as you brought this up but this is not something i had thought of before we recorded this i think the biggest problem with this is this is a straightforward revenge movie nothing about rambo is revenge you know every movie prior to this he's fighting for something in first blood he's he's just fighting to be left alone in rambo 2 he's fighting for pow's yes ko gets killed yes he takes out the vietnamese because of that but he's fighting for the pow's and he's fighting to be remembered by a country that wants to cut him loose rambo 3 he's fighting for troutman rambo 4 he's fighting to save the missionaries he's always rambo fights for something this he's not fighting for anything it's straight up revenge it, it is a, just a revenge movie gabrielle goes down to mexico she dies he takes revenge and kills all these guys there isn't that sense that this in any way moves his character forward um and and honestly rambo and revenge that, that that's not really a thing that we've ever seen from him as a character and especially again if you've read the morel books well first blood revenge is you know this this dude in this movie is the rambo from first blood yeah. you know and and so it really is missing that he's fighting for something bigger than himself because all he's doing is taking rote revenge. And again, that goes back to our biggest problem. Well, it, we could just be Liam Neeson in this movie then. Or it could just be Jason St Like, There's no reason John Rambo needs to be the character doing this. And as you were saying that and talking about how the tunnels left you cold because you didn't know any of these guys, that was the thing that immediately hit me is because you're right. You know, as cartoonish as the Russians in Rambo 3 are, we know who they are. And they... They have characters, and again, Rambo's fighting for something bigger than himself. He's fighting to save his friend and mentor, his father, essentially. He's fighting to help these rebels. He's not fighting for anything bigger in this movie, and I think that's really what leaves me cold about it. So what do you have uh, on your list of things you don't like? <laughs> we pretty much run the gamut, but what do you have? 
Well, I, I mean, we covered a lot of it yeah. already. The one thing I will say, I mentioned uh, the acting's not a problem with one notable exception. I think Paz Vega is a terrific actress. If you've never seen Sex and Lucia or you've never seen Spanglish or even as recently as 2014, Kill the Messenger, you're going to cast her in this movie and give her that little to do. I, I don't think she does necessarily a bad job, but my God, she has nothing to do in this movie. She's again, just there to facilitate Rambo's revenge. I really didn't like how they, they treated her. I've mentioned the fridging of Gabrielle. I mean, I think we've covered a lot of it. I feel like if I go any farther, I'm just going to be kicking a movie while it's down and and folks you know that's not how we like to roll on this show i mean if i'm being this negative on a movie it's like the terminator salvation episode if i'm being this negative on a movie that really tells you because it tells you i'm probably actually holding back because i hate being negative about movies i really really hate it so i don't think i'm going to add anything else to the stuff i don't like because i think people already know how we feel about the movie so michael would you recommend 2019's Rambo Last Blood. I absolutely cannot. Uh, I I think, especially because I think Rambo 4, you know, ends on such a perfect note for the character. Uh, The character that between three books and four movies uh, and most of my entire life I have loved has been one of my favorite movie characters ever. I I think it ends so well. And this movie actually kind of just shits on all of that. So I would say if you like Rambo and you haven't seen this movie yet, don't see it because uh, frankly, you don't want it in your head. You don't want to have to think when you think of that beautiful ending of Rambo four of him walking down that street, that, that, dirt road to his house and if that's how you imagine the character of john rambo ending you don't want this movie in your brain um because unfortunately for me i'm never gonna be able to not have this movie in my brain now so i cannot recommend it how about you man i will give it the tiniest recommendations under the tiniest recommendation under the caveat if you want to watch a 73 or 74 year old Sylvester Stallone kicking ass and taking names. This this is what you got. As a Rambo film, I cannot recommend this movie at all. For uh, for all the reasons you just laid out. This is not a Rambo movie. It is a Rambo movie in name only. And like you said, take change the title, change the name of the character, and you've got you've got taken five or whatever. I mean, it's just not that. So no, it's it's not a recommendation, not based on what we've seen already in this retrospective. So I know we haven't talked about it, but if you were to rank your Rambo movies, how would you rank them? So uh, objectively, I'm going to go First Blood, Rambo 2008, Rambo 2, Rambo 3, and then this one way, way down at the bottom. Non-objectively, emotionally, the only thing that changes is I'm going to go Rambo 4 over First Blood. I think both movies are great. I think First Blood is objectively probably the better movie, but my heart, my gut, my 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 feels, uh, I like Rambo 4 the best out of the series. I When you did your uh, objectively... When you did your countdown, uh, when you did your your list, I, I it mirrors mine. That's what I have. Yeah, first blood, 
28 2008's Rambo part two part three and then and then uh, part five um, I would say to anyone that's listening that hasn't seen any of the Rambo films and if you've made it five episodes in with us and you haven't seen any of the Rambo films watch first blood and watch 2008's Rambo that you're good that's all you need to do yeah, I mean, those are the two that are essential, right? Those are the two that, what I would say, if you want the complete Rambo story, and I've mentioned this before, if you want the complete Rambo story, you watch First Blood, you read the Morel novelizations of two and three, and then you watch Rambo four. And that, to me, gives you, if you want the best John Rambo, that will give you the best job that will give you the John Rambo that I love. But if you just want to watch the movies, maybe you don't like to read or I don't even want to be ableist. Maybe you just reading is not a thing you can do for whatever reason. Watch, watch first blood and watch Rambo four. I, the, there's no other movie that's essential. Rambo two has a lot of fun in it. A lot of people really like it. Rambo three has some good scenes, uh, but those are the only two that are essential. And frankly, you don't miss anything by skipping the two movies in between. I agree. Before we wrap this up, I Googled Rambo 6. And according to MovieWeb.com from a July 7th, 2020 article, it says Rambo 6 could happen, says Sylvester Stallone. It says, despite Rambo Last Blood being called the final outing, Stallone has now taken to social media to tease that this might not be the case after all. I'm not going to read the, read the whole article. I'll include it in this episode's show notes. You know, you and I like to look at retrospectives that are kind of complete, you know, but, um, or at least do a retrospective where we don't know there's another movie coming out. Your thoughts on the perspective of a Rambo six. Yeah, no, no, there's, there's nothing left to do with this character. He's, I feel like it's so tough because I feel like in, in 2008 Stallone so intrinsically understood the character of Rambo, but then this movie shows me that he doesn't understand the character at all. And so I have zero interest in a Rambo six. Now, that being said, I also had zero interest in a sixth Rocky movie and then Rocky Balboa blew me away. So, you know, I if there's one thing I hope people learn over this episode is or over this retrospective is that never count Sylvester Stallone out. Yeah. Because he has been erratic throughout his entire career, and every time you think he's done, he hits you with a with Rambo two or Rambo four, Rocky Balboa or Creed. You know, just never count the man out. So if he says he can make a, ra- a Rambo six, and uh, it's you know, I don't know, I, it could be one of the best Rambos. Um, but I, I that's not going to he's going to have to prove that to me. I'm not just going to take that on face value, I guess, is the best way to say that. Yeah, yeah. The man has been known to write the ship from time to time. So we'll leave it on that. All right. Well, Mike, we've completed this retrospective. You know, it's funny because when we were talking, you know, when we're we're going through this and I'm rewatching the movies and like I mentioned, like the, the kind of the, the, the chore it was to get through part two and part three and then the delight it was to revisit part four. Overall, I'm really glad that we got an opportunity to, to sort of tackle character of John Rambo. And I had a lot of fun doing this retrospective. Yeah. And, and for me, the biggest thing was he gave me the motivation to read the books and that 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 was for me personally, that's the thing that I'm taking out of this retrospective. I mean, again, I've said it before. I love John Rambo. John Rambo is one of my favorite fictional characters of all time. I'm sorry that three out of the five movies don't live up 
to what I want out of that character. But I had a blast rewatching all of these. I, I don't regret, well, kind of regret today <laughs> a little bit, you know, but um, but all the others I don't regret rewatching. Um, you know, I tweeted out earlier this week that one of these days we'll pick a retrospective that doesn't end on a friggin bummer. But uh, but. Uh, this is not that one and our next one will not be that one but you know I'm glad we did this this was any chance I have to watch First Blood and and Rambo 2008 I'm always happy absolutely and I remember the, the, the tweet you posted you know and I said well generally I was thinking to myself well they usually end on a bummer and that's usually why they've ended <laughs> yeah that's the problem that is the problem uh, shout out to whoever tweeted the uh the Mission Impossible one we're like oh yeah right <laughs> yeah that was my friend that was my friend Daniel Epler yeah. uh from the Cobwebs podcast although they're making two more Mission Impossible so we can't say yeah that it's not gonna end on a bummer <laughs> yet but as it is now correct every single episode or every single movie in that franchise is awesome I agree I agree but uh but yeah uh but I'm glad we did this this was one you know after we got done with Terminator, I just felt like this was the one we needed to do with the Schwarzenegger Stallone connection. And uh, I just think there's a lot to talk about in these movies. I agree. And our next retrospective will be the longest one as far as the number of movies. So it's going to be a nine episode retrospective, which I am really looking forward to <laughs> talking about because there are some films in that franchise I think are amazing. And there are some I think are the biggest pieces of shit ever. So I am, I am very curious when we get to it uh, because there is a particular crossover in this retrospective yes. that we are going to be doing that I love to death. And I don't want you to tell me what you think about no, it because no. I, I, I want to wait until we talk about it. But I will just say I love that movie to death. I know I'm a bit in the minority on it, but uh, I, I'm really excited to talk about that one when we get to it. I will just say that that movie just recently celebrated its 17th anniversary. Um, I saw that movie in the theater opening weekend. As did I. So we'll leave we'll leave it at that. So Mike, if people want to follow you on social media, I am at Hibachi Justice on Twitter. Uh, I am also at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd, where uh, you can find every movie I watch, uh, and also our ongoing list of the 20th Century Movie Club, uh, which we will be starting back up soon. We've got some things in the pipeline. I can't spoil stuff yet, but just know that there will be 20th Century Movie Club episodes happening again very soon. Absolutely, we do. We got a lot of things, and we're going to be making an official announcement in uh, in about two weeks. A lot of stuff that we. We've got planned. So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Dana Buckler show. You can follow me on Twitter at Dana Buckler. You can follow us on Instagram at the Dana Buckler show. The email address is the Dana Buckler show at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to us with questions or comments. So Mike, until next time, and just a little tease for what we're doing next, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. <laughs> I was gonna, uh, you beat me to it. I was gonna make the same joke, man. All right. <laughs> I will stay awake for the next uh, seven days. Uh, I, I need some hypnosil, though. So uh, we're good. Exactly. All right. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk soon, okay? Thanks, Dana. Bye. And my, my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.